Ian, we're doing an episode about the police and various failings of theirs this week. Is there anything that you'd like to add before we start the podcast proper? Are you exercising the right to remain silent? Yes. Page 94, The Private Eye Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Page 94, The Private Eye Podcast. My name is Andrew Hunter-Murray and today we are going to look for the first episode in our new run at Private Eye and the Police. We're going to be talking about the extraordinary story in Private Eye about the late Prime Minister Ted Heath and the investigation into him that has cost an enormous amount of money and delivered very little by way of actual results. But before we get into that, we need to talk about the police in Hertfordshire. Now, the eye was covered in a number of other organs recently because of an extraordinary request that Hertfordshire Police made to Private Eye. They had asked us to hand over our entire subscriber list for that county as part of an internal disciplinary matter that they were investigating. Now, Jane McKenzie covered this story for the eye, and I sat down with her earlier this week to talk to her about it. So, Jane McKenzie, you were up in court recently... No, no, that, you make that sound like I was actually up for a crime. Sorry, you were in court, in court. recently. I was. I was at Cambridge Grand Court. And day. what were you there for? There was an application for a production order from Hertfordshire Police to the eye, not to me personally. Yeah. Asking for our subscriber lists. Why would Hertfordshire Police want to know our subscriber lists? So Hertfordshire Police were investigating an incident that happened inside their own police station, in Hatfield Police Station, in which a member of their staff had been anonymously sent a cutting from a copy of Private Eye from back in June, just after the Manchester terrorist attacks. It was a piece from the jokes pages um, relating to that attack, and it was sent to a Muslim woman who worked at Hatfield Police Station. Okay. Now, understandably, actually, if you're getting anonymous post that's sort of targeting your ethnicity, then then that's quite sinister. So they they were investigating this. But the path of their investigation was a bit odd. So it was an internal bit of posting. I think you said in the piece it was through the police system's internal mail. It was through their internal mail system. It arrived in an envelope. Are you sent by another police officer? Or someone else who works in the police station. So was the idea that they wanted to know who across these three counties subscribed so that they could work out who was in the police, who was a subscriber? Yes, this was their means to narrow down their suspects. There'd been a number of letters to and fro with them asking for this information and us saying, no, that's not reasonable. That's silly. Privatise sold in shops. Also, we can't give you that list. It's protected by data protection laws and our promise to readers that we won't sell or give away your subscription information. But they kept on asking. Then what? They decided to ask in in the formal way of making a production order under the Police and Criminal Evidence Act. Okay, what's a production order? I've never heard of that. It is usually the way that you would get around something like data protection, saying, well, you can't hand somebody's bank details over... To the drug squad. The drug squad are trying to identify whether somebody's sort of massive drug dealings show up in their bank account. Then the police would seek a production order and the bank would hand over that data. Okay. But in order to get such an order, you have to make a case that it is going to help you solve the crime. You can't just ask for anything willy-nilly. Okay, which brings us, I guess, to the court. Yes, 
And you went along? Yes. So we, we had a barrister there as well. The hearing was held in chambers, as production order cases would normally be, because, for instance, if you were seeking a drug dealer's bank details, you don't want the drug dealer to find out because it's happening in open court. And how did it go down? The judge was not very impressed with Hertfordshire <laughs> Police's application, really. He said that they were trying to solve their case by potluck. And presumably it's, it might not be especially helpful even if you did have a list of all police officers in Hertfordshire Police who do subscribe to the eye. Well, certainly. I mean, does the Chief Constable of Hertfordshire Police read the eye, for instance? Um, you know, how many senior officers in the force were then going to be suspects and what were they going to do if that was the case? Ian Hislop is the editor of Private Eye. I mean, it is pretty flabbergasting and I was delighted that Three letters this issue which are, uh, have come in are from former policemen or women saying this is absolutely mad and B, I'm a subscriber and I don't want the police to have my details either, even though I have been in the police. So the strangeness of the request um, was absolutely um, bizarre. And we we did, you know, try and cooperate and we did explain that perhaps, you know, it wasn't a subscriber, perhaps someone had bought it in a shop or perhaps uh, they'd been given it by a friend, or they'd photocopied a cartoon from someone who'd sent it on the internet. It did strike me that the the essential detective work didn't seem to me to have been done, and we did try and explain that. But then they took us to court anyway, and we didn't have any choice, and so we had to, you know, get in a barrister to defend us. And but happily, the judge, um, who was described as perspicacious in the last issue of the Eye, threw the case out. So the production order was turned down? The production order was turned down. Is that an end to the matter? Um, Well, somebody has to pay for the court hearings and the lawyers and so forth. Uh, And the judge said that it should be Hertfordshire Police and not us. So it's scones all round. Excellent. Jane McKenzie. Now, recent weeks have seen a large number of stories across the British press and, more particularly, in Private Eye, about an extraordinary allegation and a police investigation into the idea that the former Prime Minister, Ted Heath, was not only a child abuser, but that he was a satanic, ritualistic child abuser. That's an extraordinary allegation. It's been investigated by the police in Wiltshire in an operation called Operation Conifer, which lasted for two years and has just delivered its report. Now, we're going to get into the exact detail of how the police went about investigating, and later on we'll speak to Francis Ween about the way that the story was covered in the papers But, firstly, Private Eye actually received a visit from the police as part of this investigation. Here's the magazine's editor, Ian Hislop, with more on that. I'm afraid my confidence in Operation Conifer was not greatly boosted by a visit I had from uh, two policemen. I'm both very charming, but uh, seemed to me not terribly well informed and not terribly on the money. What happened? Well, two policemen turned up in my office from Operation Conifer. Um, They were pursuing leads into um, Edward Heath and the historic sexual abuse case, and uh, they wanted to talk to me. So, you know, I said, yes, I'm uh, happy to help. Um, Then I was a bit disturbed when they produced a file which was largely old cuttings from Private Eye in the 70s. And uh, they asked me, there was a photograph of Edward Heath on a platform saying, well, what, what, what is this joke? meant to be and I said well I don't know I was 12 I have said I was not editor of Private Eye in the 70s I wasn't there I don't know anyway they were dogged and they produced various other cartoons 
including one that had someone saying, hello, sailor, and saying, what's this about? And I said, well, I'm, I'm guessing that uh, this was a suggestion in those days, in the 70s, that Edward Heath might have been gay. But I don't think it's really evidence that he was or wasn't a paedophile. Again, something one wouldn't have thought you would have to explain. And again, the photograph of the woman on, I think it was on a conference platform, um, Edward Heath was kissing this woman. Again, that doesn't strike me as as top-level evidence for anything. And so (laughs) I then said to them, they should really go and talk to my predecessor, Mr Ingrams, and they they dutifully went down and spoke to him. But I think, um, again, he couldn't help them a great deal further. Given that, I mean, there are people we know at the eye, you know, people who knew Edward Heath well, worked for him, um, were around him, who haven't been investigated by the police, haven't even been contacted, they haven't spoken to them. The idea that they'd spent all this time looking up some old jokes in the 70s struck me that maybe this isn't the best-directed and best-coordinated police operation there's ever been. Rosie Waterhouse has been covering this story in the eye for some years. Over the last two years, a lot of stories have have leaked out into the press, the most controversial of which was in November 2016 where the Mail on Sunday ran a story saying that, in fact, the, the, the main allegations against uh, Heath uh, were that he was involved in a satanic paedophile ring. It involved rape, child sacrifice. These allegations were so extraordinary, and they came directly from an expert who was brought in by the police, an expert in, in uh, who's a national crime agency registered expert on ritual crime, the only one they have. And uh, they, what emerged, he saw the witness statements from four, they turned out to be sisters, who at different stages had made allegations in the past that recovered memories in therapy that they had been victims of a satanic cult, which included their parents and Ted Heath. It's, it's so kind of lurid and baroque already. So he was tasked with looking at all this. That's right. He produced a report and was visited by a senior uh, police officer who basically was not happy with the fact that Hoskins had basically questioned the credibility of these witnesses who'd allegedly originally recovered memories many years ago. And then when they didn't name Edward Heath, but following the police appeal for witnesses to come forward, a number of these sisters did make allegations that the satanic abuse involved Edward Heath. And as a result... Hoskins was convinced that actually his his report would not see the light of day. And so he chose to leak it to the Mail on Sunday. So what was the original prompt for the investigation in the first place? Before the police stood outside Heath's house and said, if you've been a victim, come forward. It's quite complicated. Um, I'll try and uncomplicate it. The Independent Police Complaints Commission had received a complaint from a former police officer from Wiltshire that suggested that Wiltshire Police had covered up or failed to to pursue a prosecution against a brothel keeper because this woman had allegedly, apparently, threatened to name Ted Heath. The IPCC investigated that complaint against Wiltshire Police. Eventually, their report concluded there was no evidence at all that the police had failed to pursue this prosecution and that, in fact, what had happened was the, the prosecution, the witnesses, would not come forward. So that Wiltshire Police was clear of that. But meanwhile, the IPCC had announced in a press release that they were investigating Wiltshire Police. And on the same day, in August 2015, 
World Police then announced that they were investigating allegations in, of sex abuse involving Sir Edward Heath. What's only emerged in the final report, which was published um, on the 5th of October this year, is that Wiltshire police were given a remit to cover any allegation against Ted Heath that had been made anywhere to any police force in the country. And so in this later in the report, the final closure report, they said that by the time of, they launched their appeal, they were aware of four other allegations around the country involving Ted Heath one of which was the Metropolitan Police's Operation Midland, based on the evidence of this uh, character called Nick, um, who's since been described as a fantasist. So Wiltshire Police are investigating all the claims from around the country. Yes, and the final report concluded, initially, after the appeal, and uh, the police officer stood outside his house, 118 people came forward. Within the last few months, those numbers had been whittled down to 42 allegations, but made by only 40 people. That's because one person made complaints in three different names. It came down to seven claims, seven alleged victims or complainants, as they should be called, had produced enough material for the police that if Heath had been alive today, they would have interviewed him under caution. So if I can try to precise exactly what's gone on here. Based on an initial allegation, which was later subsequently found to not have a proper body of evidence behind it, the police, specifically Wiltshire Police, launched a two-year investigation inviting complainants to come forward and have now concluded that there might be grounds to interview Heath under caution. However, that has no bearing on guilt or innocence. It's simply that allegations have to be investigated. Very good, very good. Obviously, allegations have to be looked into Yeah. if they're made, because these are allegations of serious offences. What exactly have Wiltshire Police done wrong, if you like, in this case? The mindset of the police has changed dramatically since the Jimmy Savile exposure documentary, when he was, and later evidence, people coming forward, revealed him to be a predatory paedophile. However, as a direct result of police and and other organisations being accused of failing to investigate Savile, the police themselves, the College of Policing, the National Police Chiefs Council, and also, crucially, the Director of Public Prosecutions, who is then Keir Starmer, came out with a new mantra. Victims must come forward knowing they will be believed. And that is turned justice on its head, if you like. People are, instead of being considered the accused, being considered innocent until proven guilty. There is a the mindset that has been has been drummed into every police officer in the country that that they must treat anybody who comes forward with an allegation relating to sex abuse they must treat them and must believe them that's that's the key phrase and it's in the guidelines now this was exposed when the metropolitan police had this very high profile investigation called operation midland where they were investigating a so-called westminster paedophile ring based eventually on the sole evidence of a guy that was given the name Nick and dragged into it the names of people, including the former Home Secretary Leon Britton, uh, former Army Chief Lord Bramall. That operation 
came to a very abrupt end in March last year when it was shown there was no evidence that the chief constable of the Met asked a, a former, a retired High Court judge, Sir Richard Henriques, to review Operation Midland. And his report, which was published at the end of 2016, was absolutely excruciatingly damning of the police, their reliance on this sole witness, Nick, who he said was a fantasist. Uh, Sir Richard Henriques stated absolutely categorically that this was a was wrong, that people coming forward should be known as complainants, their claims should be investigated and tested for evidence, and that the accused should be given a, a fair run, basically. But crucially, the head of the National Police Chiefs Council, which kind of runs the policy, drives the policy, the head of safeguarding, he has a remit of, of another operation, Hydrant, which is to oversee and collate every single historical child abuse allegation that has come forward since Savile. And this database of Operation Hydrant has more than three and a half thousand people have come forward. The accused include, I think, 450 dead people, persons of public prominence. So in other words, people like Heath, Leon Britton, and, and so on. And of course, you've got the, all the celebrities as well. So one of the topics I, I've been interested in and, and followed over the years is how false allegations can be elicited. And there are a number of influences. And then you've got it all fueled by the globalised mass media, but, but crucially the social media. If you venture into the alternative universe, there are people who must spend half their lives tweeting and blogging about the conspiracy. This is going back to the satanic abuse stuff, that there is an establishment cover-up. Post-Savile, you can actually identify when this tidal wave took off and events that increasingly encouraged people to come forward. However, I know from work that I've done over the, over the years, false allegations of historical sex abuse have gone back way before Savile. You know, people who worked in children's homes, some of the allegations will be true, some will be false. How you tell the difference is a minefield. So you've studied this a great deal. You've written a PhD about it. You've written about this extensively for the eye. Looking forward, is there a prescription that you have? Is it simply a matter of reversing this presumption of guilt thing back to a presumption of innocence? Would that help the situation substantially? Are there other steps that can be made? I, I believe the, the mantra of believe the victim is entirely wrong. Quite incredibly, I mean, Sir Richard Henriques in his report states categorically, this must stop. The head of the National Police Chiefs Council, uh, head of safeguarding uh, Chief Constable Sam Bailey, refused to accept this. However, the College of Policing has this subject under review. So I could only hope that some will have the common sense to say we just revert back to our proper investigative mission. And obviously, as you say, on lots of occasions crimes have been committed yeah. and the police need to have the tools at their disposal to thoroughly investigate and to ascertain which of these claims of, in many cases, really dreadful crimes are being made with, with evidence to back them up and then can 
move to prosecution. That's right. I, I think another problem, um, and this is quite a, a, a deep topic, that, that when I referred to the, the, the sisters that came forward in Wiltshire originally and uh, that had recovered memories under therapy, that they'd in their childhood been abused by a satanic cult, including their parents, I, I don't hear so much about it now. That was really big in the 90s in the UK and America started and then came here. And that there's a whole school of thought in, in the therapy world that any mental health disorder in late teens, 20s, 30s, a likely cause would be childhood sexual abuse. And so therapists, psychiatrists, psychotherapists, psychologists were, were using methods to encourage women to, to recover memories. It sounds extraordinary that this could happen. There is still a small element of therapists that, that, that believe that. And I think that is very dangerous. And I've uh, written about a, um, a, a particular clinic in the Harley Street, which is funded by the NHS. I mean, that, that really, really is nonsense. I, I, I'm in touch with a very senior former police officer who's basically uh, so ex- exasperated by the police attitude now that they're just, you know, begin at the beginning. To, what's, what are the allegations? You don't believe, you don't start from the position of being their therapist. If you think about it, two years, one and a half million pounds, 20 odd officers, God knows how many civilian staff have investigated what now, what, what amounts to seven claims that. Would pro- they probably have interviewed Ted Heath about under caution? And you think, oh, you'd have thought they'd quietly go away, frankly. But no, um, Mike Veal, in, in astonishing interviews, immediately after the, the report was published, a big press conference, TV cameras everywhere last uh, October, Thursday, October the 5th, um, Veal gave these interviews published over, over the weekend pushing a line, Veal is pushing a line that, that actually what needs to be investigated, I need quite like another two or three years, is a cover-up, an establishment cover-up of a Westminster paedophile ring, and that cover-up could include the judiciary, senior officers, senior politicians, uh, civil servants, the security services. He is saying that there are so many people out there believe this is happening, that, and Veal actually mm-hmm. says, I, I don't know. I don't know. But I think this needs to be investigated. There is a conspiracy. You know, he believes the believers <laughs> believe it, that there is a conspiracy, which I think is, is the guy really ought to keep his head down, I would have thought. But also one of the really important point is is that the supporters of Ted Heath, Ted Heath, right, um, has um, 17 godchildren, none of whom have, have accused him of anything. And he ha- there's a charitable trust set up in Heath, Heath's name. And what the supporters, the family... Uh, the members of the trust want to achieve is an independent review of the evidence in Operation Conover. That way, that is the only way they believe that the weight of evidence, whatever the evidence was, and produce a report as Henriks did into, into Midland. That way, they believe it's the only way they will get some sort of closure. Rosie Waterhouse. Now, one of the reasons the story has received such a great deal of prominent coverage in the media is thanks to the attentions of the press, most particularly the Mail on Sunday. Francis Ween is our man on the street of shame, and to end this week, here he is on the newspaper's coverage of the story. Well, all stories nowadays, it seems to me, become fodder, or at least cannon fodder, in the endless civil war in the Mail Group, the Associated Newspapers. I mean, whatever the story is, if one of the papers, the Mail on Sunday, say, takes up a story, the Daily One will then try to shoot it down, and the same the other way around. So with the Heath story, it is slightly puzzling, because the Mail on Sunday initially uh, was leading the way in 
suggesting that this Wiltshire inquiry was a complete waste of time. I mean, they ran uh, a piece uh, last year saying as much last November, which um, by an expert who had been brought in by Wiltshire Police to review, including things like these satanic allegations and things. And uh, he said it was totally ridiculous and waste of money. And that was what then prompted the chief constable to issue a bizarre sort of open letter uh, on YouTube. He just stood in front of a camera for YouTube and defended his inquiry. And so the mail on Sunday seemed to be um, uh, anti-Wiltshire police but they suddenly then were turned round, and since then uh, they've had a succession of stories by their political editor, all unlikely people. I mean, given that it's a police inquiry in Wiltshire, it's been entirely covered by their political staff from Westminster, weirdly. And Simon Walters, the political editor, has run a succession of pieces. I mean, he ran one earlier in the year saying that the chief constable was 120% certain that Heath was a paedophile. And this was a bit much even for Mike Veal, the chief constable, even though it had clearly come indirectly from sources close to him uh, and he had to issue a denial and say no no I've never said that it's 120% certain but nevertheless it's very noticeable that uh, last week uh, when the report came out the, their so-called closure report um, on their investigation he only gave two one-to-one interviews uh, and one of them was to Simon Walters the political editor of the Mail on Sunday so he clearly can't be that displeased by Simon Walters's coverage so needless to say uh, because the Mail on Sunday is now really the only main national newspaper which is fanatically pursuing this line that Heath was guilty all along really you know the Daily Mail on Saturday devoted reams of stuff to pieces discrediting the Mike Veal uh, Wiltshire Police Inquiry and then the very next day there was another piece in the Mail on Sunday saying Heath was guilty actually um, and so it bats back and forth of what is supposedly you know a serious and grave subject and um, you know obviously very grave if it, any of it were true has now just become another plaything for the Mail and Mail on Sunday to hit each other with uh, for the editor of the Daily Mail, Paul Dacre, and the Sunday editor, Georgie Gregg, as part of their, to everyone else, very entertaining civil war. (laughs) You're pretty much the eyes male civil war correspondent now, among many other hats. Well, I think we probably have a team of correspondents, an army. Uh, It's one of those larger world conflicts. You can't have a single war correspondent. You have to have people uh, covering every angle as the troops roll in across the newsroom floor. Francis Ween. That's all from us this week on page 94. Thank you very much for listening. If you've enjoyed it, these stories and others are covered in the latest edition of the magazine, so we urge you to pick up a copy at your soonest possible convenience. And we will be back in a couple of weeks with another one. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you then. Goodbye.